now? <laughs> so good to see you today. It is good to be in God's house today. I want to welcome everyone who's not only here uh, in this room right now, but those of you who are also joining us online, whether it's as we're live streaming this moment or later today or maybe sometime this week. Thank you for being part of our service. We're so glad that you're here. I want to say to everybody, whether here or online, if you haven't checked your calendars yet, Easter is just three weeks away, and we're excited about this. This is actually going to be our very first Easter in this auditorium, um, and uh, we're really pumped about that. Uh, but one of the things we need to happen, because this is an unusual Easter, like the last year has been unusual, right? Uh, we need to have you help us out with our plans. And Currently, we have plans for three services, one at eight indoors, uh, one at 9.30, that'll be outside uh, on our courtyard, and that's gonna be really special, and then one at 11 o'clock back indoors again. Now, you can help us in a couple of ways, and the first one is this, and this is gonna be really hard to hear on Daylight Savings Time Sunday, but if you can come early on Easter at 8 a.m., that will probably help us a lot and we ask this every Easter that uh, if you can come earlier, it'll free up seats and the other services. So I'm making this ask uh, once again. Second, you can help us out uh, by completing a very brief survey. We sent it out this week by email a couple days ago. It also can be completed on the app if you will do that. And what we need is just for you to let us know what service you're gonna be attending and who you're going to be bringing, how many of you, adults, students, and children. And the more people that fill this service, uh, survey out, uh, the more prepared we can be. And we're ready to add a fourth service so to do whatever we need to do, but we need to know uh, who's intending uh, to be here. So are you ready to help? Can you do that? Can you raise your right hand and swear after me that <laughs> I'm gonna fill out the survey? Okay, please, thank you very much. All right. Uh, if you're new to Southwinds, uh, we have been for a number of weeks now in a series on the New Testament book of Philippians. We're calling this series Joyful because we believe that God calls us to live joy-filled lives and we believe that through Jesus Christ's power and love, we can live joy-filled lives. And so you're gonna wanna get your Bibles open uh, right now to Philippians 3. We're gonna start in verse 12, reading through verse 21, the end of the chapter. And then we're gonna talk about what God is saying to us through his word. Paul writes, beginning in verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you, before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. 
And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by his power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And this is the word of the Lord and all God's people say, amen. Amen. Well, in this passage, Paul is using running to talk about how we grow as Christ followers and to connect back to last week. Remember, we, we talked about how we come to be Christ followers or Paul follows that discussion with this discussion. Well, once you're a Christian, how do you grow as a Christian? And, and he uses this analogy, this image of running. And, and I know from the start, some of you, you're really gonna resonate with this because you like to run. Running's cool, running energizes you, running calms you, you feel healthier when you run. And then there's others who hate running, right? Who either hates running or you hate people who run? Would you raise your hand? (laughs) Well, uh, some of you who hate running, you're gonna agree with this T-shirt that's already up here. I wanted to go jogging, but uh, Proverbs 28.1 said, the wicked run when no one is chasing them, so there's that. (laughs) But you know, whether you're into running or not, it makes a whole lot of sense when you stop to think about it to to envision following Christ as a race. It's just a really helpful picture. And and just keep in your mind right now, Paul is an old man. He's in prison. He's been serving Christ for decades. He has encountered in his life and experienced incredible suffering, but he's still running. He's still pressing on toward the finish line. He's not stagnating. He's running hard. And we saw last week in verse 10 that that his one ambition in life was to know Jesus more. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. How does that happen? We're gonna talk about running for joy, about how running hard after Jesus is actually right where we will find joy. And if you're you're not a Christian today, what I want you to know is that when we talk about running, we're not talking about running for salvation. This is not at all about trying to earn our salvation. Jesus has already earned that for us on the cross. He's already run the race already. So what we're talking about today is what happens after after you trust in Jesus alone for your righteousness, after you become his follower. That's what Paul's talking about in these verses. And these verses are so helpful uh, to help us understand what it means to grow spiritually. And if you're a Christian today, I I hope that what happens today is that you feel conviction. I I hope that happens. I I hope you realize that there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Uh, Christians, Christ followers, should never feel condemnation, you know, when they're hearing a sermon. Not ever. In fact, Romans 8, 1, of course, says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has already taken our judgment. We have already died to sin. We've already, uh, he's already been punished for our sin. But we should feel conviction. And if you feel conviction when you hear God's word, it's actually proof that God loves you. Did you know that? And see, as we've already seen in this letter, uh, God will accomplish his purposes in our lives. He will work out what he's already worked in, what is pleasing to him. And so while he's convicting us, or when he's convicting us, it's just part of his process of showing us that he loves us, 
part of his process of changing us from the inside out. And so I do pray that we all feel conviction when we hear God's word and that in feeling that we will feel loved and in feeling that love we will be led to repentance because you want to, because you love the Savior who loves you. So with that in mind, I have five things we're gonna look at today, five ways that we can all run with joy. Would you like to run with some joy? Here's the first. You can write this down. It'll be on your message notes in the app. The first way we can run with joy is we always live with humble, holy dissatisfaction. So it's kind of an interesting thing because if you've been paying attention, you've already picked up, you've heard me say multiple times that Philippians is all about how we can live in contentment. But there's a sense, there's a sense in which we should always be spiritually dissatisfied, right? And another way to say this is always live knowing that you haven't arrived yet. Notice in verses 12 and 13, there's two negatives. Paul begins verse 12 with the word not. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. And then in verse 13, he says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. And spiritual maturity, spiritual growth starts right here. We say with Paul, I haven't arrived. I haven't attained it. And this is true regardless of how long you've been following Christ, regardless of how much you might know about the Bible. You haven't arrived. And we should get that right. If Paul, the apostle, says, I haven't arrived, who here wants to claim they have, correct? I mean, you know, we, 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 don't, we don't say we have arrived. We realize we have room to grow. And I just find it so encouraging that Paul would actually say this because we all know Paul's like the greatest Christ follower who ever lived And it would be easy, I think, sometimes for us to read what Paul writes and think, well, he's so far ahead of me. I mean, he's so different from me. How can I learn from him? How can I I listen to him? And Paul is telling you, he wants you to know he's a Christ follower just like you, a fellow struggler just like you. He's a runner just like you. And so he doesn't have a secret formula He can't push a spiritual easy button. He's relying on the same spirit that you're relying on. And that should just encourage you to know that Paul says he still has room to grow because this is where spiritual growth begins. See, when you realize you haven't arrived yet, you begin to look at your life in a different way. Uh, you, You begin to look at other people in a different way. You're less critical, less smug, less self-righteous. You don't see others as spiritually inferior to you. And and as this is happening, your love for Jesus grows because you're realizing like every day how much you need his grace. And all you want is to know Christ more and more and more and more. And when this happens, you're gonna be running for joy. So spiritual growth starts with this kind of holy, humble dissatisfaction. Do you feel it? Is that in you? Are you running for joy? Look at the second thing that Paul says about running for joy. He says, passionately pursue a growing devotion to Jesus. Now, I think we all probably quickly identify with number one. That's like, check, I know I haven't arrived. My wife knows it, my kids know it, everybody I work with, they know it too, right? But we might be tempted, because number one is true, to use this as an excuse not to do number two. 
you know, because I haven't arrived, because I'm never going to arrive, then I can therefore live kind of passively. But notice Paul does the opposite. Realizing you haven't arrived is not an excuse to slack off or be spiritually lazy. I mean, look at the the language Paul is using. Verse 12, I press on. Verse 13, one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining toward. Verse 14, I, I, I press on. Again, he uses that, toward the goal. So we must live with this humble, holy dissatisfaction, living, knowing we're never going to arrive, but that is never an excuse to become complacent. Does anybody ever feel like they're sometimes spiritually complacent? See, Paul's challenging us here, and maybe we need to be reminded today that nobody becomes more like Jesus accidentally. It never happens. It never just happens. And Paul knows that, so he's pressing on, he's straining, he's exerting effort, and he doesn't want us to feel like we can bypass this passionate pursuit. Some of you know 1 Timothy 4, 7, it says, Paul says in that verse, train yourself to be godly, and and he reminds us that training involves discipline. It requires passion, it's hard, and Paul Again, I mean, just think about this. He's been following Christ probably 30-some years now. He's an old man, but he's not coasting. He's straining for the prize. You might be asking, well, what's the prize? Paul, I think, is referring back to verses 7 through 10, where he talks about this, uh, this goal of his to know Christ more and more, to be found in Christ, to, to love Christ. That's what, he, that's what he wants to win, this prize of growing in his devotion to Jesus. You know, Paul uses athletic terms in so many different places to express this same idea. One of them I'll read to you, 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 24. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. And I love that sentence. We're not living the Christian life aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So you you just see this this language, completing strict training. Paul's not letting up. He's pursuing Jesus. I beat my body to make it my slave. I'm not running aimlessly. I have this passion. See, Paul has one goal. He's a one-thing man. I love that phrase. This, This one thing I do, I press on. And I want you to notice that that this involves two important things. It involves Uh, First of all, forgetting and straining. See, if you're gonna passionately pursue a growing devotion to Jesus, if you're gonna grow in spiritual maturity, it involves forgetting what is behind. You know, if there's anything I've found over the years that trips people up in the race of following Jesus, it's their past. In fact, I'm very confident right now, as I look across this room, And as I know that there are people listening online, that there are many of you right now 
and you are weighed down by your past. There's stuff in your past. There's things you did. There's things you said. There's, there's stuff you didn't do. It's in your past, and it's, it's weighing you down, and it's keeping you from running. And Paul is telling us, you need to forget those things. If you've brought them to Jesus, if you've asked for his forgiveness, if you've received that cleansing from him, then you need to forget them. You, you need to forget, first of all, your failures. See, Paul's gonna talk, he's referring to that first of all. It's not the only thing he refers to, but he says you need to forget your failures. And, and this doesn't mean that you wipe them out of your mind like you can't remember that they ever happened, but it means you look at them in a different way. I want you to think about the man who's saying this. Again, we think of Paul as the super apostle, the greatest Christ follower ever, but Paul had massive failures in his life. He had some big failures as a Christian, but he especially had some failures before a Christian. Paul was a murderer, and he owns that. He, he says that, and yet you never fought, find Paul wallowing in that, saying, you know, somehow I've gotta feel bad for long enough to pay God back for all that I did. See, Paul, again, he's the one who said there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And if you're weighed down and if you're having a hard time because of regrets, if you're still struggling, you need to hear Paul's words. Forget what is behind. I'm gonna ask you a question today if you're wrestling with this. Here's the question. Why are you continuing to remember those sins that God's already forgiven you of? Why? Maybe you need to hear this, this truth. Your past does not determine your future. You know what does determine your future? Jesus' past determines your future. Because in the past, once for all, Jesus died for sins. Your sins, my sins, the sins of the entire world. And he died to forgive us, he died to set us free, he died so we could run. He died so we could live with joy, today and forever. And if you don't feel that, you've got to feel that, and you've got to forget what is behind. So forget your failures. Just give them to God right now. Maybe you're gonna need to talk to him more later about some stuff, but just say to him right now, God, I'm forgetting. I'm giving this to you once again. I'm gonna trust you. But here's the other thing we need to forget. We don't always think about this. Sometimes we need to forget our achievements. Well, this might be harder, because some of us, we like to live on our, our past achievements, maybe use our achievements as an excuse not to press on anymore, and Paul could have done that. I mean, Paul could have said, hey, you know what, guys? I've written 13 letters, most of the New Testament. Top that, I'm going to the beach now. See you in heaven. But he didn't do that, right? See, there are times he, he thinks about what God has done through him and gives God glory for that, so don't overinterpret what I'm saying here. You, 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 know, you can be grateful for how God has worked in your life, but you don't live in the glory days. We've got to live not in the past, but today and on into tomorrow. And, and I feel like sometimes some Christians are, are sort of like um, Uncle Rico in that theologically rich movie, Napoleon Dynamite. 
Some of you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, don't worry about it. But Uncle Rico is this middle-aged guy who, who lives in a camper van. And he spends all his time, you know, filming himself throwing a football because he was a quarterback back in high school. And he just won't move on with life because he's living in the past. And I think sometimes there are some Christians like Uncle Rico. Some of you, maybe you're here right now. Maybe there were days in the past where you used to serve God with passion and, and, and you gave of yourself and you, you gave of your time and your energy. You gave of your resources. And now somehow you've gone to think, I did enough. I don't have to do anymore. You need to forget what's behind. That's what Paul is saying. You know, you need to think about what are you doing today. And again, if anybody could have slowed down because of his achievements, it would have been Paul, but he didn't do that. You know, this is, uh, this is the month for March Madness, and I think Christians have to kind of be like a coach in the NCAA tournament after each win where he says, you know, we're gonna enjoy this victory for a moment, but then we gotta move on to the next game. We gotta get ready for tomorrow, and that's how we should live the Christian life. I love what Peter O'Brien, scholar, commentator, says about Paul in these verses. He says, Paul will not allow either the achievements of the past which God has wrought, or for that matter, his failures as a Christian, to prevent his gaze from being firmly fixed on the finish line. In this sense, he forgets as he runs. And I love that phrase. We forget as we run. So we're not looking back over our shoulders. Runners don't do that. We're not looking at the past failures that God has already forgiven. We're not looking back at our past achievements which God won for us. We're we're not looking around at what other Christians are doing or what other churches are doing. We're just running. And we're forgetting as we run. So maturity involves living with humble, holy dissatisfaction and then passionately pursuing a growing devotion to Christ. And there's something more we see in these words. I wanna fix your attention for a moment on those, those two words, one thing. And I think Paul is telling us that, that we grow by constantly focusing on that, that one thing, a greater knowledge of Christ, a growing devotion to Christ. That one thing is what drives your life is what causes you to run. And you know, some of you might think, well, that, does that mean my life is supposed to be out reading my Bible and praying and like going to church? No. You know, there are a million implications to the one thing, but you need to know the, that everything in your life should come from the one thing. Um, you get that one thing right, then everything else changes. Marriage changes, parenting changes, your job changes. Your relationships, they all change. So I just wanna ask you, are you running after that one thing? Straining toward that one thing? Or is there something in your life that needs to change so that you can run after that one thing? Maybe some of you would say, well, I have one thing, but it's not Jesus. Do you need to change your one thing? One of the ways to find out what your one thing is to ask yourself some questions, you know, questions like how am I spending time? That tells a lot about your one thing. 
And I will ask you, are you spending enough time praying and reading God's word? Are you spending enough time maybe getting out in your neighborhood so you can get to know some people and share the gospel with them? Are you revealing the one thing in your life by how you spend your money? And maybe part of this will include another question, what's the one thing you need to stop so that you can do the one thing that will last forever? the one thing that matters forever. You know, Paul is encouraging this, this greater knowledge of Christ. And I want you to think about this. You can't grow in knowledge if you aren't thinking. And so are you thinking? Are you thinking about Jesus or are you mindlessly using this? I sometimes think the greatest obstacle to many of us today to following Jesus is a phone. Could it be that for you? I mean, are you able to think anymore? Because you have spent so much time not thinking, mindlessly, aimlessly chasing after stuff that, that matters. So Paul is just telling us you know, we need to passionately pursue knowing Jesus. He, he's telling us what the author of Hebrews says, make every effort to strive for holiness. So I just wanna ask you, and you can, you can explore this more deeply maybe in your life groups uh, this coming week, but what's the one thing that you could change in your life that would help you to do the one thing that will bring you joy, the one thing that will matter for eternity? Third thing. Third thing that we do as we run for joy, we never lose the wonder of the gospel. See, if, you, if you're going to grow in maturity, you don't abandon the gospel. You don't go beyond the gospel. You just go deeper into the gospel. Uh, Tim Keller once said that a lot of Christians think the gospel are like the ABCs of the Christian life, when in reality, he says, the gospel is the A to Z. It's everything about the Christian life. And, and I love how Paul expresses it here. He, he highlights the wonder of the gospel with two phrases. In verse 12, he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. The ESV translates it a little bit differently. He says, I press on to make it my own. And then he writes this wonderfully rich gospel phrase, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. See, that's the gospel. Taking hold of, making our own, that which Christ has already made his own. And, and, and that's really how Paul can share his, his testimony. It's like, Paul, could you tell us what the Damascus Road experience was like? Yeah, yeah, it was like Jesus making me his own. And that's not just Paul's story, right? That's our story. Christ Jesus has made us his own and that's why I'm straining ahead. That's why I'm pressing on because he's changed me. It's not that I have to pursue spiritual maturity. I get to, I want to. He has rescued me and that's what Paul says. I'm straining for because he's done this for me. That's why I can change. That's why I want to change and that's the gospel. Do you see? Never get over the gospel. Never get over being seized by Jesus, being owned by the Savior, being rescued by the Christ. You know, when you get around spiritually mature people, 
Sometimes they weep when they talk about the gospel because they're so deeply grateful for God's grace in the gospel. So, so daily study the gospel, daily ponder the gospel, daily never, never get over the gospel. You know, I uh, know of someone who a few years ago took his family to the beach and they were all playing and one of those things happened that maybe has happened to some of you too. Their youngest got swept up by a wave and for a few moments no one noticed but then the mom saw and she jumped up and she sprinted into the water and the little girl was screaming in panic when she got there and mom grabbed her and they said that little girl would not let her mom go. She wouldn't let her go. She was holding holding on to the one who rescued her. And she just kept holding on. And, and that's what I think Paul is doing here. He knows, he knows deeply and intimately uh, and experientially that Jesus has rescued him from death and destruction. And so he tells us, that's what he's done for you. So the rest of your life, just keep holding on to Jesus. We're not letting go. We're not letting go. We're looking into Jesus' eyes and we're saying, thank you, thank you, until we see him. And then we'll say it some more. Here's the fourth thing, model your life on godly examples. And Paul reminds us in this passage that who you follow matters. Who you hang out with matters. And we've seen this, this theme of imitation several times already. Remember in chapter two where Paul points to himself as an example. He points to Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples. He points to Jesus as the example par excellence. And, and now he says in verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. So he's been talking about how we grow spiritually mature. He said, this is how mature believers think. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. He's just saying, if you're not seeking to know Jesus, if you're not living, if you're living like you have arrived, if you're not passionately pursuing, if you've lost the wonder of the gospel, then Paul is praying that God will reveal these things to you. And then he says in verse 16, again, the humility that's here, notice that he said, only let us live up to what we have already attained. He includes himself in that. And this gets us back to what we just said. We don't lose grasp of the gospel, but what's already been taught. We, we keep striving to follow. And then in verse 17, he talks about godly examples. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So do you have good examples in your life? That's what Paul's asking. And then he says, you need to avoid certain examples. Verse 18, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. So there are people that we need to watch and there's people we need to avoid watching. So focus on and follow godly examples, people who have truly uh, chosen to follow and to live out what Jesus has done in their lives. People who look out for the needs of others like Paul has talked about, people who truly say by the way they live, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Watch those people. Now, some of you might kind of say, well, I don't have a lot of good examples around me. Well, fortunately, even if you don't, and you probably do, but even if you don't, you have a Bible filled with them. 
And so you read God's word and you learn from God's word. The ultimate example is, is Jesus himself. But I, I, was, I was drawn to one example uh, that I just kind of strikes me um, this week. And I'm going to give it to you. It's from the book of Joshua. And, and I picked this guy because he's old. And that has nothing to do with my age. It has to do with people I know who are older than I am, actually, more than that. And I'm joking, and you guys aren't getting it. Um, but... Uh, Thank you, I appreciate it. But uh, his name is Caleb, and his story's in Joshua 14. And if you know the story, they're, they're dividing up the promised land. They're about to finally go in, and, 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 and they're hearkening back as this is happening to 40 years earlier where Moses sent 12 guys to spy out the land. And you remember the story, only two of the guys had faith. The rest were faithless. Well, two of the guys were Joshua and Caleb. And, and so they're the only ones still left and, and now after this 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, God disciplining his people, Caleb is about to give, to receive his land. And in verse eight of chapter 14, he says, 40 years ago, I trusted the Lord. I wholeheartedly followed the Lord. In verse nine, he says, and I'm still wholeheartedly following the Lord. And then starting in verse 10, he says, and now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Just as he said, these 45 years since the time the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on this day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with their great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. And then Joshua blessed him and he gave Hebron to Caleb for an inheritance. I mean, you gotta love this, right? <laughs> I mean, he's kind of like, I don't know, Grandpa on Thanksgiving, you know, who wants to fight all the young guys that are there, wrestle, got his shirt unbuttoned, got a gold chain on. He's like, I'm 84, 85 years old. Come on and get some. That's Caleb. He says, I'm still as strong today as I ever was. I do CrossFit, you know. And, and this is just what it looks like. You know, we need to find people in our lives that are following hard after Jesus. Do you have people in your life that model prayer for you? Do you have people in your life who model loving neighbors for you? Or maybe a healthy marriage or solid parenting? How about someone who models generosity, giving? Do you have people in your life? You know, generosity is commanded by God. Have you ever asked someone to help you specifically grow in generosity? See, this is, this is what we're talking about. Find godly examples. And Paul says, then avoid ungodly examples. He talks about enemies of the cross of Christ. We don't really know for sure who these people were, but most likely they were people who said that they followed Christ, but they lived lives that totally contradicted their profession. And Paul says, don't listen to people like this. But I think we would also have to understand that Paul is telling us today not to listen to anyone, anyone outside the church even, who, who models ungodliness. And I just have to ask us the question, how much time do we spend admiring and listening to and thinking about celebrities, wealthy people, powerful people, beautiful people, all of whom clearly do not in any way live for Jesus, and yet we listen to them and we think about them and we wish we were like them. 
have a specific question to ask and you can think about this. Does my social media feed help me become like Jesus? So we need to follow godly examples. Maybe you need to be reminded what verse 19 says. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. So maybe we need to give less attention, less attention to people who reject God, to people whose lives only lead to destruction, to people whose God is their stomach. In other words, they, they live for their desires, what they want. To people who glory in what God's word says is shameful. Are you listening and following people like that? People who only think about earthly things. Friends, we live in a day where evil is called good and where good is called evil. And there are some of us who have a hard time telling the difference. And I'm just telling you, you're losing joy as a result. Part of how we run for joy is to, is to model our life on godly examples and follow those examples. Here's the last thing I want you to see. We run for joy when we live today in light of our true home. See, spiritual growth and spiritual maturity are really about realizing we're not home yet. And I love how Paul describes this, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this is why, this is why Romans 8 tells us we, we groan on the inside. It's one of the reasons we're so frustrated in life. Have you felt it? Like especially, I think, in this last year some way, we, we, we've just experienced the futility of life. But that's always here, even when there's not a pandemic. And the reason is we're not from here. We don't belong here. We're not home yet, and so sickness frustrates us, and death, death makes us grieve. We're groaning, and, and Paul says sometimes we don't even know what to pray, and we can just weep, and we groan, and, and, and we do that with utterances too deep for words. Why? Because we're homesick. We wanna be home, and Paul says our home is in heaven and that's why we don't chase the same dreams everyone else is chasing. That's why we don't adopt the same values everyone else is adopting. We are citizens of another kingdom. That's what the church is. The church is a little outpost of God's kingdom, like an embassy. You know, when people, when people get around God's people, they ought to see the difference. They ought to tell the difference. They ought to say, hey, you guys aren't from around here, are you? They should detect different values. They should detect a different vocabulary. You know, when they, when they come to Southwinds, they should smell the aroma of Christ. Now, we, we know here that they're gonna smell other stuff, but we want them to smell Jesus, okay? And it should show up in the way we live, the way we welcome people into our homes, the way we care for orphans and people that are poor, the, the way we, we gladly serve our neighbors who are disadvantaged, the way we encourage one another and honor one another. We're not from here. And so we live differently, we think differently, because we're waiting for heaven. We're awaiting a savior. And it's like you're meant to get this picture when you read Paul's words. It's like Paul's running, 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 running. And every day, 
Every day, he's getting closer. Every day, he's drawing nearer. And one day, he knows he's going to see Jesus. Soon we'll see him. Soon we'll hear him speak, well done, good and faithful servant. And I'm telling you, on that day, if you've spent your life running for joy, you will not regret how you ran this race. On that day, you will not regret pressing on, straining toward, running with passion. You will not regret loving the gospel. You will not regret setting your mind on heavenly things, not earthly things. You will not, you will not regret it. Because when our Savior comes, What's he going to do? He's going to change everything. That's the last verse. It says, who by his power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. He's going to remake, renew everything because he has power to do it all. He can change all that's wrong in this world, change all that's wrong in us. He's going to make us ready and fit for heaven new appetites, new desires. You know, uh, we're gonna look like we've always looked in some ways, but we're gonna be glorious and we're waiting for that day. Are you waiting for that day? For transformation. See, that should inspire hope in us. That should give us energy and strength. That should cause us to run more because we're looking for that day. We're looking for that day, living for that kingdom because that's where we find Joy. You know, that movie has been out for a long time now. I know Chariots of Fire. Many of you have seen it. Maybe you remember how Eric Liddell, the, the Christian sprinter, is the 1924 Olympics. He has that great line that many of us are familiar with. He says to a friend, you know, I believe that God has made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, when I run, I feel his pleasure. And if you know the story, you know that Eric Liddell ran and he won the gold medal, and, um, but he didn't get to experience some of what he thought he would in that Olympics. And then he went on to serve as a missionary in China for two decades. And at the end of World War II, he was martyred for his faith because he really was running for something greater than gold. And so you know today, you may be a runner. Maybe you're not. But I'm praying that all of us would be running in this race, the race that God has for all Christ followers, this race for joy, this race to know Jesus more and more and more, this race to become more like him. See, I'm praying that you're running for Jesus, that you're feeling his pleasure, that you're on this journey and that you're enjoying this journey. I'm also praying that if you are here and you are not a Christian, that you would hear us inviting you, come on, join us in the race. Run with us. Because you don't have to be qualified to get in this race. You don't have to be in spiritual shape to get in this race. The only qualification that you need, you already have, and that is that you're a sinner, just like me, just like the rest of the people in this room, just like everyone who's ever lived. That's why we need Jesus. And that's why he offered himself to us. That's why Jesus has shown us the way.
this way we've been studying in the book of Philippians, this way that gives us hope, this way that brings us joy. I'm gonna ask if you would to bow your heads as we're gonna pray together.